2: I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host Tom or Robots, and I'm here with N7 the Legend as usual. And N7, you brought along a friend today. You made a friend.
3: <laughs> I did, you know, and it's actually thanks to the last uh, mods video that we put on uh, YouTube, as you know, well as other places. But you know how much of a fan of mods that I am. I do. And I do. I love mods too. Yes, my mod list is ever growing, especially for Mass Effect. So. We have one of the best-known modders in the Mass Effect community joining us today. Uh, he's worked on plenty of stuff that I think our listeners have probably played before, and, and ones that we've talked about uh, recently, like the Spectre expansion mods, the uh, mm-hmm. diversification project, and the expanded galaxy mod, and even Take Earth Back, and uh, his very own Automus's uh, Happy Ending mod. So I'd like to welcome Automus to the show. We're happy to have you here.
2: Hello. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the show. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about your work and uh, are very grateful for the things that you've been working on. Um, but this was this was a big surprise for me. Uh, N7 reached out and he's like, hey, how do you feel about having uh, one of our one of our favorite modders on? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That sounds awesome. So uh, big welcome to the show. I hope the community is excited to, to get to meet you as well. But um, I, I know N7 and I have been drumming up some questions we've got some questions for you we want to dig into your brain because we are the people who play the games and nerd out about the games you're one of the guys who gets in the guts of the games and adds stuff changes things around so to kick this off when did you get into mass effect
4: i got into mass effect when i was 10 years old when the game first came out
2: so, you're you're um, like an OG player. Mass Effect oh 1. Yes. Yeah, Sam and I go back to that respect. Yeah. Nice. What, is that 15 yeah, years was, now? Um, oh my God.
4: It was a very long time ago. Yeah. So, um, I'm probably one of the few fans at this point that can say that they've been a fan of Mass Effect for over half their life, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to think about. Um, but yeah, I uh, got Mass Effect on the original Xbox when it came out, been playing it ever since. Um, I switched over to PC gaming. Uh, just before ME3 came out um, okay. and played through on there. And then after that came out, I started thinking about, you know, uh, actually this game would be really cool if it was moddable. Um, and so I started thinking about that. And then I, um, well, the, the, the ending thing happened.
2: And, right, the big, um, and you're talking about the, the different endings and the big debate about the way it ended and some the, people were not the happy big controversy. about it yeah
4: yes uh, at the time i was a very toxic 14 year old so i was off on the bioware forums ranting away about how <laughs> bioware had betrayed us and how we needed to demand a new ending um
2: yeah i have a theory sorry. that the half of the problems half of our ills on the internet are just caused by bored teenagers
4: I yeah i think honestly, this
2: yeah. uh, plays into that theory <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah the the internet is i think primarily composed of toxic teenagers so,
2: yes.
3: so are you saying I, are, are you saying that you actually got into modding because of mass effect
4: you, uh, yes i I'd, i i knew about modding before because i uh modded knights of the old republic i was uh, mm-hmm. i played around with the modding community for that but i was only sort of like peripherally involved I talked to a few modders. I mainly just installed mods. So I wasn't like involved in modding. Um, But yeah, so I took a break from Mass Effect for about a year, uh, just just kind of detox. And when I came back, I replayed um, through the trilogy again and played through all of the uh, DLCs for ME3. And that was when I got to experience the Citadel DLC, which is kind of what really made me fall back in love with the franchise again. And after playing through it, I thought, actually, this DLC would make a lot of sense if it was like the epilogue to the game because the tone of it kind of really fits as like a post-script kind of story. So I I did some Googling to see, you know, if anyone else had that idea and that led me to um, the ME3 Explorer forums and the Citadel epilogue mod and that kind of roped me into uh, kind of lurking within the modding community. Um, Though I'd been... Uh, sort of lurking on those forums, not really talking to anybody, but just downloading lots of mods, kind of seeing how everything worked. Um, and then, about when was it? Twenty, late twenty eighteen. I met Tidius, who was the creator of the Spectre expansion mod, and we got to talking. It was very exciting talking to him because both of us had all of these really cool ideas about, you know, ways that the game could be fleshed out and how we could explore some of the. Um, areas that Bioware had kind of touched on um, in like Cerberus Daily News and some of the comics, but hadn't really touched on in the games. And, and um, there, so we, there was
2: cut content too. They 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 had oh, intended yeah. to do a lot more than they were able to get actually get out by by release. So yeah, so much cut content. Yeah, so that stuff was inspirational as well.
4: Sorry, you can't, can't, Sorry,
2: what uh, you say? we're we're going overseas here with our with our Zoom call. Uh, I'm, I'm I was asking that stuff was inspirational too. Then some of the co- content, so a combination of your ideas and the other ideas that never got flushed out.
4: Yeah, for sure, because I think what's so amazing about cut content is it's kind of the bridge that turns fan fiction into legitimacy. Yeah. Because you can you can take a concept that the writers originally wanted to do, but because of time or budget or whatever mm-hmm. and then you can restore it or you can kind of figure out how to put it back into the game in a way that makes sense Yeah, um, Knights
2: of the Old Republic 2 is a really good example of that there's a lot of content cool. in there I remember that the modding community yeah. around that back in the day trying to finish the game quote unquote when Bioware didn't actually finish it
3: so, Artemis, hmm. what was what was one of the biggest inspirations of this cut content or, you know, uh, extra game content like Cerberus Daily News or the comics? What was one of those pieces from that that served as a pretty big inspiration for you?
4: Um, I think for me, it was the Ralloy because I thought that it was really interesting that there was this entire new species that had just been introduced, but we never got to see them. Um, and so we spent a lot of time talking about what how they could factor into the war, what the situation on Terves would be like you know uh, would maybe some members of that species not want to isolate and they'd want to try and get involved in the war um, because they don't feel like the government's making the right decision and trying to hide. Um, and so we, we came up with all sorts of ideas on you know how they could be reintroduced by text adventures and things like that.
3: So um, of course they they come up in the Spectre expansion mod. Yes, they do. Yes. So yeah,
4: I, I believe the one of the text adventures that we wrote together was a that was this uh, series of text adventures about like backroom deals that were going on between the Elcor and the Ralloy. That the Elcor were basically smuggling Ralloy off-world in order okay. to fight on the front lines, and their government was very unhappy about that. So you kind of had to like step in and be a diplomat.
2: In that situation. Wow. So okay, so the the picture you're painting for me here and I think this is cool especially from the perspective of what we do on the show is that this expansion of the lore is what motivated you to make actual in-game Content and and changes and and DLC. It wasn't so much like a lot of modders will do things like they'll add in some new guns or they'll tweak some of the gameplay or whatever. But you're really coming at this from a from a lore standpoint.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, I mean, I've always been super passionate about Mass Effect I mean, I, I feel like at this point, I would describe my knowledge of the lore as like encyclopedic. I've I've read the Codex multiple times. I know the canon insider now. I know all the stuff that is like almost canon because it was cut content and so having that kind of knowledge means that you can kind of it, it's kind of like a, a blessing and a curse because it means that you can see all of the things that just weren't realized yeah and when you have the ability to bring that stuff back you kind of can't help yourself so mm. yeah I that's know, with- why, that's my inspiration
3: yeah. With the Spectre expansion mod and some of the other mods that we worked on, like, like Take Earth Back, uh, and I know you were a contributor for the Expanded Galaxy mod, how much of the stuff that you did and you implemented into the game was 100% canon? And then how much of that was just a, a logical extrapolation from what we knew?
4: Um, I would say maybe half of it is canon and the other half is either inspired by canon or kind of like spins off from it in some way. I don't that think is, much of it is like completely new stuff. All of it that is, is based on what you think.
3: That's crazy yeah. to me because I like, as like I'm a huge mass effect fan myself, I started playing back in 2007 and I, I, Uh, With the Spectre expansion mod, with the expanded galaxy mod, Take Earth Back, uh, Happy Ending mod, so much of, of this stuff, the new content that's in there, I find a very hard time distinguishing between whether or not this was canon, either through extra game sources, or something that the modder themselves kind of wrote into the game. And so much of that is so seamlessly interwoven into the gameplay that I, I have to congratulate uh, both you and, and your fellow modders that, that worked on that.
4: Yeah, thank you very much. My uh, I, I think Titus would be over the moon to hear such high praise, because he worked very, very hard and he poured his uh, heart and soul into writing for that mod. So,
2: yeah. So I've, I've got a question, um, and this is kind of tangential to that. So much, uh, so very often, I guess we could we could say, whether it comes to um, games like Fallout or uh, cyberpunk. Uh, In fact, over the last few years, a lot of times the studios themselves will actually hire modders into their studios because of the work they've done on the mods. And it sounds like that's like, you. if I was working for BioWare and I was ramping up for a new game, having guys like you as part of the team would seem like a very smart thing to do. Is that something you've ever considered doing? Is is it a goal for you?
4: Um, For me personally, no. Um, Just because I I, I have my own career. I work in um, motion design, so I'm an animator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very happy doing that. Um, I just consider the modding part of, you know, I I consider it a a hobby that kind of tangentially ties into what I do for a living. But no, I, I I have spoken to Bioware devs um, about maybe coming over to their studio and, you know, meeting the team and things like that. Um, But yeah, for me personally, not really interested in, making it into a career but i know that some models in the community very much are
2: it seems like such a like, natural uh, pathway because it's like you're putting yeah. together a resume of your work ahead of time a portfolio and saying hey i'm already capable of doing this job why don't we work together
4: yeah i think that um we, i think that a lot of the time the modding can really depend on what engine you're working with because when you're modding the Mass Effect Trilogy, you're working in Unreal Engine 3, which is at this point a dead game engine. So the knowledge that you're working with is kind of outdated. The the foundational skills are obviously there. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're working on more of the programming side of modding, then obviously that's super transferable. Um, But a lot of the time when you're modding, you have to learn very specific practices that might not be very applicable to other levels of game design. So I think that if any modder is interested in making that leap over to the professional industry. They have to think about, you know, what talents are they putting into modding and how transferable is that? Because, for example, I think that the writing is very transferable.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think
4: that if you're, if you're really good at knowing the law and being able to write in the same style as the uh, you know, vanilla script requires, then obviously you would be a very, very good asset towards the licensee. team.
2: I would imagine that if you, if you understand the lore, if you're good at the writing, if you under, if you have some good ideas for mods, then as a developer, if I was hiring, I would assume, okay, this is the kind of person who I can teach them the tools. I can teach if they don't, if they're not familiar with unreal five yet and they've been working on three, I can spend the time and money to bring them up to speed on that because they have the stuff that I can't teach them or would take forever to teach a passion for the game interest in the lore and understanding of the universe, all of those things have to kind of come with the person, right? Yeah. So that would be my perspective. Now I've got another question when it comes to the tech side of this, as far as I understand, mass effect games don't have like official modding tools. Sometimes developers put those out. They, they want to help their community. Cyberpunk just committed to doing that. Um, As somebody who's not a coder myself, I've only dabbled in this a little bit. How difficult is it to kind of crack open the game engine in order to adjust some things?
4: Okay, so this is a bit of a loaded question because Mass Effect is a bit of an anomaly in the modding space because you very, very rarely see games moddable to the extent that the Mass Effect trilogy is without having any mod support whatsoever. Interesting. Um, Okay. Because if you look at the most popular mods or, like, modern communities, like um, the Bethesda games, um, the Witcher, Dragon Age, um, Terraria, um, like, all of those have some kind of official developer support. Yeah. But Mass Effect not only has zero official support, but it also uses a forked version of Unreal Engine 3 that Bioware has like, made, made modifications to that are incredibly unfriendly towards any kind of, like, modification. In the early days, the way, the fact that mods even worked was like an accident. It was just like we we hacked together some kind of Jenga tower that somehow didn't fall <laughs> over. So That's awesome. uh, things are much better these days. But, yeah, it's... It's a very it used to be. I think things have changed now, but it used to be a very, very high barrier to entry.
3: Did How legendary did was, legendary edition. Yeah. Did legendary edition change this? Yes. It just makes sense. Yeah.
4: So the interesting thing about legendary edition was that it was a fresh start for the community. I think there's been that you you can go out and read articles that say things like, you know, legendary edition made things super easy for moderns. And that is true to an extent. But actually, the reason that it's so much easier for modders, beyond things like having 64 bit, which means that we don't have to deal with memory limitations or them standard, uh, standardizing some of the file formats under the hood, which means you can pour assets between the different games a bit easier. The thing that really helped make things, um, so much easier for the modding community was that we could start from ground zero with a more robust code base for the tool set because the original games were built, like all the mods were built on very primitive versions of the tools. And then as the tools advanced and more advanced mods released, they had to exist in the same ecosystem as those original very primitive mods that were kind of janky built together. And so by sort of 2020, when we were reaching the kind of death throes of the original trilogy modding community, it was an awful time for mods because any mod that you released had to deal with like 10 different compatibility patches for other mods. You had to deal with the memory limitations because everyone was using a lot of textures, which meant everyone's like ceiling for uh-huh. memory was like right below the cap. Yeah. Um and also you had to deal with other things like you know not being able to do various, do certain features in modding. Um so the fact that we were able to start fresh in legendary edition while also having a the most modern up-to-date version of the tool set meant that we could create an ecosystem from scratch and make sure that we set ourselves up for success. Forward. That's and
2: awesome. So that's
4: really what made everything so much better for us. Like the, um, mm-hmm. competitive, um, the community patch framework, we've also built in like new merge mod uh, functionality. So a lot of it was done on the tooling side, uh, rather than in Side Legendary edition
3: itself i'm glad that you bring up the you know the older the original trilogy versus legendary edition because i had a specific question about that as it pertains to mods you know if anyone that goes on nexus anyone that checks out the original trilogy and all the mods for those it it seems like that library is huge and of course there's been many more years that have passed while that was the only option but it's 2022 now and legendary edition just came out last year and it's still you know an old game overall it's it's more or less you know uh, a remake of the original trilogy but that being said the modding community still seems to be pretty active for a game whose content base content is still very old does does that surprise you and and what are you seeing behind the scenes that we might not be
4: i think that yeah, I think I am kind of surprised. Uh, back So I I became an active modder in 2018, 2019. My first mod release was a lot of videos. Um, and it wasn't really until Legendary Edition where I started really getting involved in mods. But in that time before Legendary Edition, the community was very small. There was only about two dozen mod devs, only maybe a dozen were ever active at one time. So there wasn't really a lot going on, and it really did feel at the time like the community was really on its deathbed. And Legendary Edition very much saved us in that regard. Um, And so I think that the fact that we were able to hit the ground running and make things so much more open and accessible for everyone meant that people were more interested in having it. Because I I think that back in the early days of modding, the barriers to entry were so high that a lot of people got turned off. Um, and because it's so much more accessible and because you know the community is so welcoming and friendly and wants to see itself grow, we're, we're seeing a lot more growth. Um, and I also just think that Mass Effect is a really special franchise and people really, really care about it. And so I think that you get a disproportionately high member of really passionate fans who want to go in and just do masochistic things to make the games <laughs> run better or look better or play better
3: we see that here i mean within our own community right that mm-hmm. like i just said the game is not new uh by any stretch but we still have a decent uh a group of people who who listen to the show who are you know still very into it you mentioned um something about that it's you know the modding community is very active and it's growing and and there's, these barriers are not there that were that that were once there how does that translate into one of uh the community's most beloved mods the expanded galaxy mod i know that you've been a contributor so you've probably been talking back and forth with some of the mod authors on that uh yeah. but as 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 people who mod mass effect know the expanded galaxy mod for the original mass effect 3 still much more robust than what we have right now in legendary edition Uh, is there any sign that you've seen that 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 we might be able to expect uh tangible uh growth in that mod
4: yeah for sure so um obviously the expanded galaxy mod is the biggest mass effect mod and years of work went into it so having to rebuild all of that from scratch uh and, you know, Kinko the lead developer of the mod, he does most of the work. My contributions to EGM have been relatively small. Um, I helped, like, redo all of the videos. Um, I helped do some testing. I helped, you know, do some little bits of writing. Um, but he's doing all of the work in terms of, like, making the files and rebuilding everything. So it, uh, that means that the process can be slow. Um, and also, sadly... EGM has features in the original trilogy that can't come to Legendary Edition. Um, for example, ARC mod, um, that uh, sub-mod of EGM created new N7 missions um, from the multiplayer maps, but because the multiplayer maps aren't in Legendary Edition, it can't, unfortunately, be remade, unless we figure out a way to port the maps over and like read it all the lighting and materials, but mm. um, that would be a very very big challenge.
3: So but if they brought back multiplayer then theoretically yes that could it would be
4: 100% possible. Yeah.
2: If those same um, maps were also brought back specifically. Yes. That would be the yes. the crux of it, yeah. Uh,
4: yeah, I know that um the there is a new update for EGM coming fairly soon. I don't have specific dates, but um the Miranda mod um is coming out very soon. So that will be a new submod of EGM that's coming back. I know that the plan is to kind of not bring every single feature over. I know that um, based on some discussions that we had, we realized that maybe there were some things that while cool, they didn't really add much. And so the value in rebuilding them is kind of on the lower side. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think at this point EGM is mostly into uh, other than, really Arc Mod and Miranda Mod, which is coming soon, and some of the, um, like, no- Normandy ambient events, pretty much all of the features are back now. So I think EGM is maybe 80% rebuilt. So I feel like within maybe six months, we should be pretty much there with EGM. So fingers crossed.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you got to do a, a cost analysis on your time and effort for getting the best stuff in uh, you know especially while things are still hot and people are still excited about things um so i've got a question for you Mm -hmm. when it comes to the things that you've worked on do you have something that you're like most proud about do you have like a a shining star like oh i accomplished this
4: yes so i so for the original trilogy i the only mod that i released even though i I did contribute to a lot of other mods but uh, the only mod that i released was a lot of videos which, um, if you're not aware, was a, um, which is basically a lot of textures for all of the pre-vented videos in the game. So they were upscaled and sharpened to 4K resolution. Um, and so for Legendary Edition, I went and remade that much better this time. All of the videos were crystal clear. Nice. And they're all running at 60 frames per second now. Um, So I'm obviously very proud of that because the amount of logistical planning that goes into remastering 500 videos is uh, a small feeds. i bet and uh, and and
2: the the old ones look kind of blocky still too so like that must have been i mean do you use like an ai system of some sort like how do you
4: yeah so there was a whole process for it that you can read on the mod page but the short version is that we looked at the videos that were shipped in their direction and realized that they hadn't really done a very good job upscaling them right um they it felt like they'd only just been upwards a little bit and compressed less some of them Great because they've been re-recorded, they re-made them inside Edge Edition's engine, but a lot of them were not really up to standard. Um, and also we found in a lot of cases you could downscale the video to 720p, save a frame, upscale it to 4K, zero difference. They were still fundamentally 720 p quality huh. um when you in terms of like pixel density. Um and so that added an additional step for us, which meant that we had to go every single shot of every single video and figure out what the true resolution of that video was. Then we had to figure out the best AI upscaling model for it. Then we had to figure out the best sharpening and denoising settings for it. Uh, And then we had to go through and make, well, I went through and made um, like post corrections in After Effects like fixing, like flickering or blocky artifacts or things like that.
2: Wow! And that was a process that had to be done for
4: 500 videos.
2: Yeah, so this isn't like just putting it through some sort of processing or something. This is like a whole... Like everyone was hand adjusted the way it needed to be.
4: Yeah. So, in the original version of a lot of videos, because the AI technology wasn't super robust back then, we used um, Gigapixel AI. We just turned all the videos into uh, PNGs, ran them through to 4K, stuck them back together. But with this one, we were using Video Enhanced AI, which has different models. Um, so, we were like previewing them analyzing the differences between each of the different upscales on these preview frames, figuring out which one looked the best, and then stitching all of this together, shot by shot, video by video, until we had the absolute best version of all of these videos. I'm very, very proud of how that project came together.
3: Where are players going to notice that the most in their playthrough? Like, let's just talk from a layman's perspective, someone who's not used to modding at all, when they install this mod, where are they going to see it? And and notice like man, that looks good.
4: You're gonna see it straight away, or like you, the or first video, video, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah. first video,
2: yeah. like you can see the compression and, and the blockiness in in it. Yeah, you launched Mass Effect Two. The
4: beginning of Mass Effect Two is like a two minute long video. Yeah, you launch that and see that stunning four K sixty FPS, and you're gonna notice a difference. So yeah, I think it's. I really do think it's a must-have mod that everyone should be using because it just makes the game look properly remastered.
2: Yeah, that, and it makes a lot of sense because this is one of the places where game developers will actually cut the size of the download for their game. They'll, they'll overly yeah. compress the video and then like this is one place they can cut stuff out. So to be able to kind of reinsert that back in the way it sh- quote unquote should be from the beginning is is just awesome. Well, I know we've got we've got some more questions for you. Uh, We're going to take a mid-break. We're going to uh, thank our patrons. We've got some new reviews. And um, in the meantime, chat, I know you guys are hanging out. If you have any questions you'd like to post, feel free to share that stuff. But uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code Maxpool. M a x p o o l. pool m-a-x-p-o-o-l don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode
0: at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices
2: Message coming in. Patching it through.
0: I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that.
2: All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and we've got some new patrons to shout out. Thanks. Big, big thanks to Rowan Kent L. Shep Vakarian 888 and Eli uh, A., Thanks so much for your support. Welcome to the Patreon and a big shout out to our shepherd to your patrons as well. Coca Shins, Captain Shanko, Kira C, Lieutenant Cicino, pipe man studios, and Shep, Vakirian and William, man. So many of you guys, uh, so much support. All six, so many shepherds. Of you guys, so many shepherds. You guys must like this stuff and uh, our show and stuff, I guess. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for the support. Um, but, uh, we are what, one week away from our, our uh, end of the month patron episode. So we're recording this on Friday nights now. And so coming up, this will be the first Friday night patron chat coming up on the 30th. So make sure if you are a tier four or higher patron that. If you'd like to join us, it's Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And if you don't live in one of those time zones, then Google it. It'll, it'll adjust it for you. We live in the future. Um, not quite as far as the future as Mass Effect, but far enough in the future that you can do time zone calculations so thank you again to all of our patrons and if you're interested in checking out what you can get or signing up before the patron chat coming up in just a week then go to patreon.com slash mass effect Lorecast. also we've got some new reviews to read out it's been a few weeks as we doubled up on the last episode. So this one is from AMF99 in the US who wrote in on Apple Podcasts. I love the show. Five stars. Great content. This show renewed my love for the game. I love I have learned so much about the history of Mass Effect. I normally listen to the show on my phone on my way to work or when I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing dishes. I also listen to podcasts while doing dishes, so this is awesome. Keep up the good work. Also, I am totally team Ashley. I could not stand Caden. Um I I think this is just the right time right now to ask uh Artemis, are you team Ashley or team Caden? What do you think? Thank you. I was going to ask. Oh. Yeah. That's that's really mean. Are you do <laughs> Which one? You got to pick one. I I
4: love all my children equally. I know, okay. right? Um All right, I'm 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 going to I'm going to be team Ashley just because I feel like she gets a bad rap from fans. I think that was Ooh, the right. Spicy answer.
3: takes. Yes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big Ashley Stan. So I'm glad that you said that. <laughs>
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, so is uh, AMF. Yeah. So uh, can't stand K- they can't stand Caden. Uh, P.S. Do you guys have a Discord chat? Yes, we do. The Robots Radio Discord, there's a link in the show notes that you can just search it. It shows up at robotsradio.net if you want to go to the website and find it that way. Um, so yeah, come join us on the just Discord if you haven't already in the time that it's been since you wrote this. We have one more. This one's from Kayla Elizabeth Art in the US who writes, love this podcast. I've listened to every single episode of the Mass Effect lore cast. And first off, I want to say thank you for using gender neutral terms when referring to Commander Shepard. We try to do this as much as we can, although sometimes I just get a picture of like my most recent playthrough in my head and the character that I was playing. And so I'll just say he or she. Uh, But thank you for noticing that we we do try. Uh, It feels inclusive and it is refreshing to not hear about Bro Shep as if he's the only Commander Shepard like most other Mass Effect content. It's genuinely hard to find Mass Effect creators, which is mostly male-dominated, make sure that their content is inclusive, so I really appreciate it. Secondly, I love the content. It's thoughtful, and I love how much Sam goes into deep dives into the lore. It is tiding me over until the next game, and I'm glad that you're still finding new content to cover. Would love to hear more about Mass Effect 5 theories, thanks to both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we get a little drip feed some more info about that. But Kayla and AMF, thank you so much for taking the time to leave a rating and review. If you do the same thing on Apple Podcasts with five stars, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. You can also rate us on Spotify. All of that stuff helps us a ton. So thank you for taking the time to do that. All right. We've got some more questions. We got some more digging to do. So let's move on with the rest of the show.
0: Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
2: All right, we're back. Sam, I know you've got I know you're just bubbling over the questions. You Anything else you want to ask?
3: I am. And, and, you know, I I had a specific thing that I wanted to dive into. But first, you know, that Ashley versus Caden question that you asked in the mid break had me thinking. And I think a lot of our listeners would want to know as well. Autumnus, you're an OG player. From, from day one. He's I mean, like, you know, it, yeah, it oh might, no. It might be a little, it might be a little uh, I'm a journalist by trade if you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> but it might be a little hard to recall your very first playthrough, or maybe it wasn't your first playthrough, but your canon playthrough, the one that you like the most, and the decisions that you uh, stick with most of the time. What are really? some of those? I mean, do you do you kill Rex on Vermeier? Do you let him live? What about the Ragnar Queen? About the rackneck? Nobody's or the debating council.
2: that one anymore. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I
4: mean, I yes, I mean that that first playthrough was so many years ago, so many playthroughs ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I mean, I do remember that I saved Ash because I romanced her. Um, okay. but I think Rex died actually in my first playthrough wow. because I I um I I did his side mission. But then I forgot to open up the locker that had the armor in it and just left. So oh, I, uh, I, I wasn't able to save Rex. Um, huh. So, yeah, that was awkward. What about the I ending? Was,
2: what ending I, did you first go with?
4: Uh, I think I went with Synthesis just because the game was telling me it was the best one. I, I have opinions about that, but uh, I, I, I picked it because it seemed to be the, the, the best one presented at the time. And the and it is massive official happy ending in a way. <laughs> I mean, every everyone kind of runs off into the sunset, seeing Kumbaya. and it, it's only treated as not a good ending because Shepard doesn't live through it. But anyway, I'm gonna stop because I'll start ranting. About the well, again.
3: that kind of brings me to my, my next question. You know, you you've read through the Codex uh, so many times. Have mm-hmm. you ever, ha, now that you know what you know, and you know far more now than you did when you first played through it now that you know th- all of this has that changed your opinions on any key big decisions in the game that is a good question that's why they pay me the big bucks
4: i <laughs> honestly i think that the the thing that really impressed me after reading the codex was well, especially in mass Effect one just how much they respected the law that they wrote i think that there were some hand-wavy moments, especially in Mass Effect 3. I think they started playing a bit hard and loose with the rule of cool. Um, but I was very impressed overall with just how much they kind of stick to the rules that they established. Um, and I don't really think that there's anything that that's in the codex that makes me think, like, wow, they, they really bungled that. Um, but I, I do think that there was just so much interesting stuff in there that is never explored in the games. Like the fact that the Presidium has a night cycle, wouldn't it be awesome to see the Presidium at night? Like that would be amazing. Um, So, yeah, I I think that for me, the codex is such an interesting way of building foundational content that expands what we already know. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now is thinking about OK, how can Mass Effect 1 be more of itself by taking elements from 2 and 3 and making it feel the same, but also a better realized, unified, cohesive version of the trilogy, if that makes sense?
2: Yeah, I mean, they definitely expand things in 2 and 3 beyond the the scope of what we start with with 1. I, I suppose you could even take like some of the races that show up later or some of the... Uh, uh, I don't know. I, and, I, I, I would even say uh, and, and, engineers and, and, and some of the, just like bits of things that become more important as the series goes on and just kind of foreshadow them better through certain kinds of quest designs or side quests or locations you can go to in the, you know, in the space map.
3: I mean, this yeah. is, I'm just spitballing here, but like that, that's part of the subject of, of an ongoing project that you're working on, right? The diversification project.
4: Yeah. So the diversification project is kind of like my first foray into building my own huge mod. Um, and that's what Tidius and I are uh, working on. Tidius, the creative space expansion. mod. So he's working on the Mass Effect 3 version and I'm working on the Mass Effect 1 version. And we're kind of like sandwiching Mass Effect 2 with awesomeness.
2: Um, <laughs> so what is the scope of this? What is, what is What will the mod give somebody who downloads this once this is finalized?
4: Okay, so the scope of the mod is kind of different between the LE1 and LE3 versions because um, the the games have kind of different issues. Um, so for the LE3 version, a lot of that is about making your uh, doing kind of what Take Earth Back does with war asset representation and bridging that throughout the rest of the game. So it's about making it feel like the decisions that you make throughout the game have an impact when you return back to the Citadel. Seeing the uh, the assets that you recruit appearing on the Citadel, seeing the results of those decisions playing out in the lives of ordinary people, uh, rebalancing populations so and there's a less human dominance, um, adding in more ambient level events, just things like that. So just make the game feel more immersive and feel It's kind of do, doing that kind of expanded galaxy mod thing where you kind of see the reaper war unfolding in real time and making the world feel like it's bigger than you are Uh, so that's the le3 version the le1 version is kind of about fixing the corners that they cut because of memory limitations in the original Mm -hmm. so for example if you go into csec academy in mass effect 1 and look at the npcs there you will notice that every single turian every single human, every single Celeric are all just clones of the exact same dude because they, they were just reusing assets over and over. Uh-huh. And once you start noticing that they're only using one outfit per species, they're only using the same hairstyles, Like it really starts to feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities here. So what I've been doing as the kind of broad goal of the mod is to go through the entire game, top to bottom, and rebalance the entire population and diversify it on a very deep level. So I'm doing things like adding more uh, Hannah and Elko and Volus. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact: there are only three Elko in the entirety of MassFit One, and two of them are in the same room. Uh, so yeah, that totally yeah, tracks. It,
2: uh, yes, it, yeah,
4: that needs fixing, right? Um, and so I'm I'm doing things like just adding in lots more of those. I'm Kind of rebalancing the population so that you're kind of getting even numbers of uh, the council races and humans, and then getting lower numbers of elk or Hanarvolas, and then you're seeing some Krogan sprinkled around. Um, and I'm even putting a couple of Quarians around that you can spot under certain conditions. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the the general scope of what I'm doing there. But then beyond that, I'm also thinking about okay, how can the game feel a lot better just in terms of how it flows and how it connects to the other games. So I've been doing things like making it so that when Admiral Hackett calls you on the Normandy, you go into the com room and physically speak to him via a hologram, uh, because yeah, it, ma- awesome. it kind of it doesn't really make any sense why you're kind of speaking to a disembodied voice when. The con is literally right there like don't you just walk five steps
3: over and talk to him face to face. So do um, you use the hologram model from Mass Effect 3 then?
4: No, I'm using the, uh, well, I'm, yes, I'm using his physical model, but I'm using the Mass Effect 1 version of hologram. So it's like that sort of like red VHS look.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: um, so, <laughs> it, okay. which I think works kind of well because it means that you don't, it's still respecting the fact that you don't really see what he looks like. You can kind of make out that he's like like a grizzled old dude, but you won't actually <laughs> physically see him until later on, which I think is kind of respectful to the, uh, the lore and the vanilla version of the game. Um, and then I'm also doing things like rebalancing the way that quests play out. So, for example, um, the, something that's always annoyed me about the way that some quests work is that they don't really make sense as to where you get them. So Chorban, for example, is scanning a keeper in the middle of the council chambers. So, I I mean, I'm not sure how he thought he was going to get away with that. Um, But after looking in the files, it turns out that the original place that he was supposed to be was at the base of the council tower with the keeper where Avina is, and he was supposed to be scanning that keeper. And the reason that they moved him was because they wanted players to be able to f- instantly um, interact with him after coming out of the uh, first meeting with Sarin, because he's straight there. Otherwise, you would go to the fast travel terminal, potentially fast travel just straight down to Torvalds, then miss him entirely. Yeah. So, but what I feel, I kind of disagree with this because I feel like there there's already two different ways to start this quest. You can talk to Jaleed or you can talk to Chorban. So, I've moved him back to the original position and I've actually found that this makes the, the quest feel a lot less linear and you can kind of approach it however you want. And then, no. so go on. Uh,
3: I was just going to ask first, uh, before you went on, how did you, how did you find that out that that's why the devs put, uh, Chorp and where they did.
4: So, when you're looking under the files, we have this thing called the, uh, the sequence editor, which allows us to view the uh, Kismet sequencing logic that uh, Bioware used to script events. Um, and a lot of that stuff has um, comments left in. So um, when we were talking to Bioware, because I I kind of reached out to Bioware and got us talking about how we were going to help modding gets that for legendary edition one of the things that we asked them was could you please leave all the comments and like sequence mode positions in so that when we look at the stuff under the hood we can kind of see your like your comments and your thoughts on like how everything should be laid out and as part of that i could see like i can see comments saying like we've moved him here so that the player can Not do this. Or I can kind of infer logic by seeing that he's tagged SDA 20 Chorban and SDA 20 is the name for the Presidium and SDA 70 is for the Citadel Tower. So I can kind of figure out things about where things are just by kind of inferring
2: things under the hood.
3: Did you ever come across any of those comments that made you laugh? I mean, uh, were any of those comments pretty funny?
2: <laughs> very, like, very human things, like, this This freaking dude doesn't seem to spawn correctly in this location, so I had yeah. to move him over yeah. here. Yeah,
3: There's
4: stuff like, you know, make sure this flag is always set, otherwise Shorten's arms will, like, fold <laughs> inwards or something like right. that. Right, right. There's definitely there's some fun comments there. Like, um, uh, I saw one the other day where there was, like, a plot check in Aspect 3 between, like, Ashley being alive and Caden being alive, and some dev had put next to the Caden uh, alive. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Which I was funny. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. Great. Clearly a Caden Stan uh, in the level design team. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. So, um, I mean, it sounds like you've got your hands full. Do you have other future plans? Do you have other things that you're just like, How does this work for you? Do you you have like lots of ideas, and you're like, okay, this is the thing I can work on now. But now, next after that would be this thing, and then this thing, and this thing. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I, I kind of assumed.
4: (laughs) Yeah. The the thing is with a project like this, there is so much work. I mean, I've been working on this mod since February, and uh, it took me until August just to build out my asset library and so i've only for the last couple months have i've been rebuilding the citadel and i'm still probably about two or three weeks away from finishing the first pass of the citadel because the way that i've been doing it is i've been kind of going through and placing all of the npcs and figuring out like the all their animations and like when they should be spawning and all that other stuff. And then on my second pass, I'm gonna go through and decorate them with their own outfits and tints and hairstyles and skin tones and all that other stuff. Because that stuff is less important than figuring out your overall layout and structure. Sure. So once that's down and I figure the population balance, yeah. then I can go through and decorate it. So that's my plan right now is to for N7 day release the citadel update so the citadel should hopefully be fully done by
2: then. would you um put uh, a human on board somewhere that looks like sam
4: <laughs> um isn't comrade verner already on the
3: citadel <laughs> <laughs> nice not in everyone's game
2: <laughs> <laughs> um so okay so beyond this one what is what's your like next dream thing like and you don't have to go in super high detail but are, are there some other things out there that you're like it'd be really cool to start working on this thing or something else
4: yeah i mean I, the thing is i feel like you kind of have to stop somewhere otherwise it will go on forever yeah um and for me bringing like bringing mass effect 1 up to the standard that i want it to be has always has been a Lifelong dream for me. I've I've wanted to do so. I I do remember playing through um, Mass Effect One, like my final time playing through it before the Legendary Edition came out. I I, I played through it thinking, man, I really wish there were female Turians. In Mass Effect One. Mm-hmm. so that was the first thing i did so like the the mod is currently out in alpha and the thing that it does right now is adds female turians all over the game so yeah. you can see them in csec you can see them in the embassy presidium on uncharted worlds in mercenary gangs all sorts um and so i'm kind of like just bringing that kind of diversification across the whole game that's awesome um yeah so i at the moment i have so many ideas that are all kind of being lumped into this one mod, that it's kind of hard for me to see what I'm going to do next. There are a couple of other things that I want to do, but they're smaller. Like this is, I would consider this to be like my last big project before I kind of just go on maintenance mode with my mods, because I feel like I've already got a fairly good library of mods now. And the more mods you release, the more mods you have to maintain. And so it becomes a pretty stressful job if you release too many. So I, I, I can tell you about two mods that I want to release. The the, the the things that are kind of holding this back are some technical limitations. So the first thing I want to do is something called the Geth Consistency mod um, because at the moment it irritates me that the Geth don't look the same throughout the different games. Like the Geth Prime in ME1 is white, but in ME3 it's red. Mm. Or the Geth... Um, uh, destroyer in me one is kind of like gray and orange but in me two it's also white so i kind of want to just make a consistent design between them through all the games the issue with this being that the are in so many files that shipping all of those files would be a compatibility nightmare for such a small edit like literally all i need to do is go into like one material file out of like thousands and thousands of properties within a, a file just to change that one thing so that's on hold until we can figure out a way to just kind of like build a patching utility that can just kind of go through and correct all of those things.
2: Right. So you need the tool to um, do it because it's, it's, it's complex.
4: Yeah. Right. And part of the the issues with, um, working in the Mass Effect games is that like with the Bethesda games, all of the assets are kind of loaded individually. It's part of the reason why loading times take so long in Bethesda games because, mm-hmm. Their, their engine is really well designed for modding, but in the Mass Effect games, everything is kind of just lumped into the same files, which means that one modder who edits one thing in this one file would have to merge their changes with somebody else's in that file in order for both mods to work together,
0: mm-hmm.
4: which creates a lot of issues because if you've got three different mods all editing one file, you now have to make different combinations of compatibility patches for those. Then imagine you've got four or five mods touching that one file it gets very 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 stressful which is why compatibility is kind of the thing that holds a lot of us in check when we're working on different things Is it, otherwise it would just be a chaotic free
3: for. Um, these these are concerns that other games that are well modded like bethesda games don't have to worry about right
4: yeah i mean obviously it's different for every game but for the bethesda games you generally don't have to worry about like imagine if in like fallout 3 if you edited like an npc in the middle of megaton that meant that anybody else who wanted to edit any other npc in like the middle of megaton would have to make a compatibility patch
2: yeah, yeah, That's what it's wow. like in Mass yeah. in, in in Fallout, so in the Bethesda games, it's like you, you load mods, and if there's if there's compatibility issues, you just choose which one loads first and which one loads second, and then they end yeah. up with like a certain priority level, and one of them will work and the other just doesn't.
3: Well, and yeah, Bethesda and it's, games, it's, there's a you know, so many of those mods are reliant on script extenders. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like that for Mass Effect or is the way that Mass Effect is built, it doesn't really allow uh, a script extender mod to uh, broaden horizons?
4: Well, so the thing about script extender is that it's kind of similar to how we make modding work in the first place. Like the, the, our version of the script extender is basically our DLC loader. So we're mm. able to load and mount new DLC content through our mod loader, um, so there's different things that we do at runtime which allow the game to run mods. That isn't particularly helpful for compatibility, though. Um, it's, it's it's more convenient for the end user rather than for modders. So um, uh, we do have we have made some steps to make things easy. So, for example, the Le3 community patch has something called the Framework, which, if you're not familiar, um, it was a refactoring of many of the files in the game. So what um, the developers of that mod did was they went through a bunch of files and they found all the NPCs that exist within those files, so plot-related NPCs like Trainer or Bailey or the Counselors, and stripped them out of that file, created new bio-NPC files, and then created links that streamed them into those files, which means that you can now edit NPCs in the ME3 using the framework without having to worry about editing level files.
2: Right. Right. Um, you can open the little drawer for each character rather than opening the whole big old bin of it. Exactly.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So you only have to worry about making a compatibility patch between two people who edit the same character, which is much less likely. Um, so it's a much easier time in that regard. We also have something called merge mods. Um, and merge modeling was a feature that, um, Our the tool set developer created, which basically allows you to merge changes into, like, the core base game files that can't be put in DLC mods because, you know, they're foundational to how the game works. Um, And so that allows you to do things like merge in um, script extensions and changes to, like, fundamental game behavior. Um, So that that kind of stuff just wasn't possible before, because, you know, otherwise everybody would just be fighting over using the same three files. there are things that we can do as modders on the toolset side to make that experience easier but unfortunately we're still faced with the grim reality that we have built a very complicated modding system on top of games that actively resist it and so it's kind of just the thing you have to deal with there's not really any way around that unfortunately
2: yeah there's there's so much there's so much uh to this um Man, it's it's kind of mind-boggling. As somebody who doesn't do this like this work, how much actually goes into it, and how much of a, a passion project this is, you know, for you and the other people that you work with. Um, we've only we've we've got to wrap up the show. We're getting to the end of it, and I know it's it's extremely late where you are. Um, we've got like two more questions. First of all, because this is so big, are there ways that people who want to help can get either get involved or are there ways that they can like donate? Like, do you have a Patreon? Do you ever take any personal support from the work that you put in? Um, so, uh, are you talking about my mod specifically? Your mods, yeah. Like you, you as a mod creator, are are there like are there opportunities for other people to get involved with the modding to kind of take on some of that workload and, and work with you, or are there ways that they can say thanks and and donate to a, a Patreon or, or or some way of showing some support? Yeah. Because a lot of what you're doing yeah. is free, like it's all passion, right? Yes,
4: and I mean, I have never done any of this for any kind of monetary gain. Like yeah. That's not important to me. Um so yeah, I think that if if anybody wanted to help, they could send me their ideas of ways that they think that the like MassFit one in particular could be improved. Um though so, and also I do have a um like donation link that comes up when you download my mods. Obviously, no pressure, but if you want to support me, feel free to send me money for a coffee. I'd uh, be very
2: appreciative. Yeah. So yeah awesome i know sam awesome. you've got you've got one last question
3: i do yes so Autumnus, you're intimately involved with the mass effect modding community you've got your ear to the ground there are there any big things being worked on that mass effect players can expect in the near future and that, and that you are clear to talk about
2: <laughs> things to get excited about maybe oh uh, can i spoil somebody else's work hmm. yeah, yes like they
3: absolutely
2: can. <laughs> okay I can.
4: all right um <laughs> Yes. Okay. So there are, there are some amazing projects being worked on. Just absolutely incredible projects. Um, I'm going to shout out two by fellow Mass Effect 1 modders that I have huge respect for. So the first one is a talent overhaul project being worked on by a modder called Nightwalk. And basically what he's doing is, I mean, it's insane. I have no idea how he's doing it, but he is Porting powers from Mass Effect 2 and 3 into 1. So you're getting things like combat drone, charge. um, That's insane. uh, Overload, incinerate, blast. Like all of this stuff is being moved into Mass Effect 1. And it's incredible the way that he's managed to get this to work. And it really makes the game look incredible. Like seeing Shepard run around in Mass Effect 1 with tech armor. Get excited for that because it's coming soon. Uh, And I'm very much looking forward to playing that. The second one is by a model called vex and he is working on restoring caliston which is the um which is the planet that eventually became the place where you pick up the armor. um caliston was uh, a pretty huge planet uh, i believe it had roughly the same amount of dialogue as Neveria um and it was right, uh, around the same size and there's a lot of stuff in there and we have um, access to pretty much the entire script. It has to be translated because it only ships in localised languages. Um, but at this point, we've pretty much translated most of it, and we've started like looking into how it can be restored. And this model is currently working on restoring the entire planet, which is I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's making great progress so far. And uh, if you go to the MassFit Modding Discord, you can check out the Developer Showcases channel to see all of the things that people are work, uh, being worked on, including those two mods. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the Calliston mod is a long ways out. Talent the whole mod coming fairly soon.
3: Now, Caliston, is this a this is a brand new planet that players could go to?
4: Yes, well, sort of. It's basically turning Therum back into Calliston,
3: because Oh, I see.
4: Because was a mining planet um, primarily dominated by Edgshel, Ashland Energy. Um, you would go to a place called Throwdown Plaza um, and you would basically deal with like, it, it was a very like Wild West, like Firefly-esque sort of planet. Um, there, there was that whole thing going over like gangs and cartels and uh, and things like that. Um, and that was where you uh, originally recruited the army. And it um, was
3: teased in the uh, very first Mass Effect trailer. I remember they're like charting new cores for Calliston. And then we never went there.
4: Yeah. And a lot of the like early gameplay demos had Calliston content. And um, the final area that you go to and bring down the sky uh, where you, you know, fight Balak and the Terrans and free the hostages, that was the hub for Calliston. Like obviously that a lot of the rooms aren't there, but the main room, that was it. That was uh Calliston's Throwdown Plaza. Hmm. So there's there's a lot of really cool stuff um that's been discovered in Calliston's files that uh should hopefully be restored in this mod. For example, Blue Hannah. Turns out that there was uh, a blue Hannah that ran the Med Bay. So <laughs> Blue Hannah. Too. Yeah. Yeah, there's stuff uh, there was so much. Um there's you, you there call was like
3: them this... manor of wars. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> oh
4: no. Um, uh, there was there was like a, 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 an ambush with um, with these mercenaries that have been hired by sound and one of them uh, talks to you like he like he's a sheriff. He, he kind of talks like this, and he's doing some kind of weird <laughs> sort of next. I got so like it's from, it's, a very, it's from Texas. close enough right. there, Commander Shepard. it's it's a weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there's oh, the, one of the things that um, surprised me most about it was that one of the characters on Calliston was a character called Fred Mazai. And you may recognize Fred Mazai from being a very random mention in the Shadow Broker uh, like video terminals. And it turns out that Fred Mazai. Um, was like this sort of comic relief character on Calliston that they then repurposed into Elias Kellum's lawyer in Mass Effect 2 so that's going to be an interesting thread to reconnect when we're still in Calliston
3: wow talk, talk about like minute details that they repurposed that's awesome man I, I cannot yeah. wait to see this Calliston mod and uh, I forget the other name what's the name of the mod bringing the powers back to um, I don't think it has a name yet but we'll call it Talent Overhaul Mod that is going to be insane. and uh, for all of our listeners, yeah, you you probably heard this here first, so. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I just noticed that you did share a bunch of uh, images in the in the chat for the zoom Do you want to take yeah. a minute and just kind of comment on each of them? We can kind of go through Yeah, I've got 10 minutes. Okay, so here we'll, we'll I've got them all in order the order that you link them in and I'm going to go ahead and share those on screen And I I'm have to adjust the uh, size of this a little bit, but um, why don't you go ahead and start sharing first? Uh, go ahead and just Tell us, tell us what you got here.
4: Okay. So this was a screenshot that I, uh, so th- this is kind of in Brevella. So one of this is the most recent screenshot I took. So this is the back alley wards area uh, on the Citadel, which, oh, yeah. that's gone off again. Um, the, so that area on the wards is always empty other than when you go and meet Tally. So I figured, Hey, this would actually be a really good place for kind of like gangs to kind of hang out and, uh, discuss unsavory deals and do crime <laughs> <laughs> and do crime um, right <laughs> uh so so that's um that was a, a Solarian that i set up who's kind of doing a smoking animation that i bought it from me three ah, and yeah. uh I, I was celebrating the milestone of figuring out how to get the cigarette to attach to his hand
3: nice. because
4: that was a that was a very complicated process <laughs> and um and i set up just a, a little orange spotlight next to him that really him in a very cool way
2: cool yeah and people don't realize how much some of this stuff takes to get to work together because yeah, it's not that, just that built one npc
4: in. took me seven hours
2: that's insane yeah look at him look at him he's so cool just yeah. like oh. hanging on the hanging up against the wall with this cigarette in his hand all right let's uh what's the next one here
4: I, I have no idea. I'm going to have
2: to We're, see it first. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going down the list. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it looks like, ah. uh, oh, do you see it? Okay, go ahead.
4: There he is. Um, so, yeah, this is um, this is one of the quarians that you can find hanging around in Mass Effect 1. Um, I'm, uh, I'm making sure to add too many because, obviously, quarians are not a common sight on the Citadel. But I thought it would be cool if, when you're running around, occasionally you may spot one in the wild. Um, so, yeah, that's a male quarian um if you're eagle-eyed enough you may spot him
3: cool now this is the and same uh, this is the same location it looks like the same location in mass effect one where you run into the the man who, who supposedly knows your mom if you chose Spacer. yes yes that's uh, the wards axis corridor and and i the thought came to my mind you probably know far better than i do mm-hmm. given cut content did bioware ever plan on revealing who shepherd's father was
4: I have not seen any evidence of that anywhere. No. Well, it's interesting because I. Th- this is just a hunch on my part, but I think that they left that ambiguous so that players could decide on their own who Shepard's father was. Like for, for example, I have my own head cannon that Shepard's father was friends with Anderson, and they deployed together during the first Contact War and shepard's father died during the first contact war mm-hmm. and that leads my shepard to have quite a big prejudice towards two during mass fit one that kind of improves throughout the game uh, it would also explain relations anderson's with
2: relationship with shepherd having known his yeah father and also and... why
4: he's kind of like a father figure exactly right, yeah right but yeah. yeah i i don't think that i i have seen zero comments of shepard's father anywhere which is very interesting
2: amazing amazing well here's the next image We've got uh, some individuals sitting around a table.
4: Ah, so do you
2: recognize
4: this area? Because it's been very overhauled. There's a little clue on the wall there that might tell you what
3: this is. Not, this is not the consort's office, is it? It
4: is not, no.
3: It's in the wards. Mm, it's got that like plus, wow, this plus is, sign this on the right is, wall. This is very heavily overhauled isn't it this is dr michelle's office
4: it is yes this is the entrance area to her office i noticed that when you walk in there is this huge area with nothing in it so i thought it'd be quite nice to make a little waiting room that makes sense it makes sense yeah yeah and uh, i think it it works great this is the this is the first of several areas in the game where i'm kind of placing objects and furniture to make an empty area feel more alive um because it it kind of needs it there are there some places in the game where they just didn't place any props and ambient furniture and so the, you've got like someone's shop or clinic that is just empty and right. so right. yeah here's another screenshot i've i've actually given um dr michelle some patients to work with yeah so there's some people lying in the beds
2: yeah the, do not
4: the... think too hard about what that claw
2: is for <laughs> right i was about to point it out uh, but yeah i was like,
3: thinking <laughs> tattoo removal uh, <laughs> maybe that's yeah it. here's another one with
4: Imagine, uh if that's what dr michelle's actual specialty was
3: she's not a real doctor she just removes tattoos i can see it. maybe maybe it's turian face paint removal uh for those <laughs> in sketchy enterprises yeah so you have two <laughs>
2: images here with uh, patients on beds so do the patients change do they are they the same patients all the time
4: um yeah so at the moment they stay the same in a later update i'm gonna figure out a way of kind of randomizing npc positions oh that's cool um yeah yeah placing uh, npcs in Fit one is really complicated much more complicated than three so that, like the work that goes into it is much more time consuming so i probably won't make like different versions of npcs and stuff but i might figure out a way to change the way that they get placed into the different animations
1: mm-hmm.
4: so that they can so that every time you come in, you'll maybe instead of seeing a Tourian laying there, you'll see an Asari laying. It feels
1: more example. natural because it's not Turian always
4: the same person.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about this image? We have uh, individuals looking at consoles on the sides of the ah, room. Ah, yes. Yeah.
4: So this is bar office. office. Though uh, labeled in the game as the bank, yet somehow there is no banking going on in there. So I've added some ATM machines. Uh, if you zoom in, you may see something behind Galavan. There,
3: it looks like a terminal. That wouldn't. That would not happen. No, to but me right story. behind him. Right behind him.
4: Yeah, right behind him on the left and right.
2: Oh, the the uh, the security me- Yeah.
4: Yeah, I've, I've added some security maps from Last Week Two.
3: Oh, ah, uh, that's what those are. I thought would be an interesting hard way of, kind of
4: unifying the trilogy a bit
3: yeah that 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 makes perfect sense in a bank yeah that totally makes sense
2: cool all right and then we've got um oh we've got one of my favorite people or types of people
4: ah uh, yes yeah, so this was an interesting one so it turns out that um han olal's um appearance has been bugged since the original release of Mass Effect one that is what he's supposed to look like really
3: Wow. Yeah. So in this image, he's wearing white and red armor that almost looks similar to imagine if Ashley's armor was a little bit more red and you put it on a volus.
4: <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's supposed to match the scientist uniform that everyone else is wearing. Huh. That kind of like white and red style. But yeah, um, that was supposed to be his appearance, but it just got referenced incorrectly. So he was using like the default Volus appearance by mistake. Oh, that's so funny! Okay, and they never caught it, even in Legendary Edition.
2: Yeah, weird, weird. All right, and now we have uh, uh, another one. What's what's this one about?
4: Ah, so this is another bugged one. So it turned, it also turned out that Morlan was using crap. Um, what's his name? I forgot his name. The oh, shells, the uh, shells, the Gambler's appearance. Um, his actual head is supposed to be that. So that's another one that I
2: fixed. So, and the, the head was just like sitting in the files and just wasn't accessed. Yeah. At so
4: all. yeah. So um, in this wasn't actually in Legendary Edition. I had to go and harvest this out of Mass Effect One, pull it over into Legendary wow. Edition because wow. it wasn't. Uh, it was. It was left over in one of the files, but it wasn't being correctly
2: referenced. So that's what he was supposed to look like this whole time. That's a cool texture. Like, like the cracks and stuff on the
3: face yeah there's cracks it looks like it, the blue is underneath the cracks on Morland's face he actually looks a lot less friendly <laughs> yeah well he's supposed
4: he's supposed to be kind of like a shady kind of slightly psychotic black market arms dealer but he kind of comes across as being kind of actually friendly <laughs> <'Cause>, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right i think the appearance layers his uh personality a bit more all
2: right so what's what's this next one
4: Ah, so th- this one's exciting. Um, in Legendary Edition, for some reason, the um, controllable tank in the docking bay, uh, in the garage in uh, Novaria, was missing. So for my mod, I brought it back. So now you can use the turret again.
3: So yes. you can actually hop in the turret when you're when you're getting the garage pass and you're leaving Novaria. Yeah, you've made it so that, that players can actually hop in the turret of this massive vehicle there in the garage
4: and absolutely rex and geth
2: yes (laughs) sweet sweet all right now we have some uh the comparisons between uh face textures
4: yes so um with the asari the asari has unique textures in mass effect one that they changed in mass effect two and three so in legendary edition they Unified the Asari's appearance by porting those appearances back, but they didn't update all of the like morph information for the faces, which led to Asari looking a bit different. So for plot-based Asari, I haven't done this for every single one because it's too time-consuming. But for the cinematic uh, conversation with Asari, I've gone back and restored their original appearance by kind of changing the color and scalar values of their head morph to make them look like they did in the original. So you, you're kind of getting that marriage of legendary edition and the original trilogy.
2: Nice. Uh, they, it's like they were more blue than they were supposed to. Be. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that the,
4: the, the, the like original base texture was more of like a yellow color, but the one in mass effect two and three was like a more pinkish color. So it, ended up when backcourt and I just kind of hue shifts of the Asari.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about it, but I, now that you bring this up, it's one of those things that I, I think on playing legendary edition, I was like, were they this blue? And it, it like subconsciously, I was like, it seems more
3: blue than I remember. <laughs> I don't and know the textures look far higher quality. Yeah.
4: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Just how like tweaking some values actually brings the detail up and there's another one so this is the embassy receptionist this yeah. one was a bit harder to do i kind of had to take some creative license here but you can kind of
2: see it looks so much better
3: it really it really is an improvement it it, it truly does yeah i'm looking at them side by side where we have mass effect mass effect Leg- legendary edition and then the new and improved textures from the diversification project and this asari's uh head head crests and or i'm sorry not crest scalp rather uh looks so much more uh like 3d like the it pops out at you the texture of these uh semi cartilaginous tentacles right
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah even even the like just the texture of the skin the skin looks more i don't you know porous and cracked and
4: detailed. yeah i there's a um there's kind sort of like a face shine I found this cool technique where if you set the face shine value really high, but then set the, uh, like, colour of it to, like, almost the colour of the skin, but slightly different, you actually get this much more, like, defined uh, look on the face that kind of matches a little bit more of what they were going for in the original that kind of got destroyed a bit by Legendary Edition because everything in Legendary Edition looks a little bit too flat. So just, just playing around with those values kind of really brings back uh, some of that detail that's lost. It looks more natural. Now, this, yeah.
3: n- this next one, I'm I'm greatly looking <laughs> forward to. Uh, yeah, tell us about this one.
4: <laughs> so, you know, once I found out about the blue Hannah, uh-huh. I, I felt like, you know, it was fair game, that we started getting some rainbow Hannah.
2: So, <laughs> so, all the colors of the rainbow, like Skittles. Exactly,
4: yes. So, uh, because I'm adding some uh, many more Hannah to the game, and they've only got one appearance it just felt right that they need to diversify them as well so um yeah pictured there are six forbidden snacks
2: nice. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, pink blue green purple red and uh another variation of pink i guess i'm i'm not great with colors but hanar gummies would sell pretty well uh yeah I mean, oh, what, what would they taste like them? oh
3: squid squid
2: Squid, <laughs> oh man! All right, and then um, we've got a, a variety of different uh, pantsuits. Yes.
4: <laughs> so another uh, modder called Zeb um, created a few new outfits um, based on cut manuscript um, concept art for humans. Mm-hmm. and actually made them into wearable outfits in the game. And I asked if I could have the permission to take the model and textures and convert them into a tintable material that the NPCs use. So I'm actually going to be integrating this into the game to kind of give uh, some characters more varied uh, appearances. So this uh, one in particular is going to be kind of used as a business suit. So like Emily Wong is going to wear this. Some of the business women on the area will, mm-hmm. uh, will wear it. Maybe a couple of diplomats will wear it. Um, and that's uh, just one of three new uh, outfits that uh, I'm adding, which uh, should reduce the proliferation of women in dresses in that aspect because there are too many.
2: Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it makes sense that they wear something like this. It, t- it totally matches. Uh, mm. And then this is the last one. What are we looking at here?
4: Yes. So... Female Batarians are coming to diversification project on the left-hand side. You can see a female Batarian there. Yeah, and I'm also um, just make uh, one of the goals that I have for this mod is to use the existing assets that exist from Aspect Two and Three to give each race a bit more of a, a, a like a defined and bespoke visual aesthetic. So I feel like this armor that Bray has in Aspect Three kind of really Exemplifies that Batarian aesthetic of everything kind of feeling a bit like bulky and brutal. Uh, and so oh. I feel like by giving certain species certain designs and like gun models and colors, it can make each species feel like it has their own personality rather than the kind of homogenized uh, mishmash of like reused assets that exist in the imagined games.
3: That's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. I love that idea yeah well i i'm going to download this diversification project uh alpha and and the one for three uh, as well myself probably as soon as we're done here uh and and give it a whirl and i you know i admittedly i haven't tried a lot of videos yet but hearing all the work that you've put into it uh i think i i I have to now i gotta go check it out You,
4: you gotta you gotta at least go check out the uh trailer that i put out you'll see just how much it will improve your game Absolutely. Well,
3: Autumnus, awesome. uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us, especially with how late it is there in the UK. And I know that our listeners are probably ecstatic to hear uh, not just about the mods that you've worked on, but about some of the exciting stuff coming up for the Mass Effect community.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a great time. Um, do you, before we go, do you want to share ways that people can reach out to you or the best way to keep track of what you're doing and stay connected?
4: Yes. So if you want to keep up with Mass Effect mods, I run the Mass Effect Modding Discord, which is discord.gg slash Mass Effect Mods. Uh, and you can catch up with all of your favorite mod developers, see what people are working on. And hey, if you want to learn to mod yourself, we will help you. We're uh, always interested in having new people join the community.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for all your work. It, I, we love this stuff. I mean, we we eat this stuff up. So we really do appreciate it. And, and you take the time to do this. Sam, you got anything you want to share before we head out?
3: Uh, Well, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, also thank you for all your work on on the mods that, you know, like we talked about, modders do this for free. I mean, you know, they accept support here here and there, but this is passion projects and uh, it's awesome to know that. You know, uh, at least one modder I know is an OG Mass Effect fan, and just as much of a, a lore nerd as I am. And that that much was evident anyway from the from the, some of the projects that you've worked on, not just with you, but with Tidius as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm very happy to talk with you and. I am streaming, of course, so if anyone listening to this uh, would like to stop by my streams and catch my the now the tail end of my first FemShep playthrough ever, I can't believe it's taken this long uh, to get to a FemShep playthrough, but I am streaming every Saturday. Uh, That is uh, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, and I am considering a second Mass Effect stream uh, of the week, but still working out a schedule. So at any rate, if you'd like to, you can follow me on Twitch and Twitter at N7TheLegend.
2: Awesome. And my stuff's all at robotsradio.net, including my other podcasts and the other podcasts on this network. So go check that stuff out. You can always join us for this show at twitch.tv slash robots radio or check out my game streams. I've been playing all sorts of different stuff over there. Cyberpunk and did uh, I played a new mod. Speaking about mods, uh, the Whispering Hills mod for Fallout 4. I tried out earlier today. It's like. It's, it's, it's spooky dookie. It's creepy stuff and we're coming up on creepy season. So come join us for all that stuff. Thank you guys for being here. We really do appreciate it and stay safe out there in the universe. It's a crazy place where, you know, people keep changing their skin textures and stuff. Who knows what's going to happen? All right. We'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast, or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.